So today I want to talk to you about what to do with the longing that you have for love. Maybe you heard this little story about this fellow, Jimmy. He got a letter from his ex-girlfriend. Jimmy, please forgive me. I love you so much. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I can't believe I ever left you. P.S. Congratulations on winning the lottery. (laughs) Yeah. You ever been there? Do you really love me? So we all have a longing for love. It's really clear. Abraham Maslow, the behaviorist, had the hierarchy of human needs. And at the top was uh, food, shelter, clothing. Right after that, he says, a longing for human relationships, a longing for love. Let's admit it. Everybody wants to be loved. Now say, so... As we approach the Lord's table and as we give this like really communion meditation message that takes us to this that we call communion, which is interesting. The word communion, it means it's the highest level of fellowship that a person can have. It's a word that describes a loving relationship with God. This is symbolic of our loving relationship with God. Now, here's where we get into trouble with our longing for love. We get into trouble when we look to people to fill a gap that only God can fill, right? A girl, a woman named Glenda Ravel, her, her dad left before she ever met him. Her mom remarried. Her stepdad horribly abused her. Her mom was emotionally damaged. She mistreated her terribly. All Glenda could remember growing up was how much she wanted her mother's love. But her mother was just emotionally unable to express love to her. One day, uh, Glenda went into her mother, and she was sitting in the kitchen, and she decided she was going to try to do something she'd never tried to do before. And that is that she was going to give her a kiss. She kissed her mom, and her mom acted like she wasn't even there. Later on, she got to thinking about how could she get her mom's love, and she realized school's about to start, and she was given, I think, 30 cents a day for lunch. She decided what she would do is she would skip lunch from the beginning of school until her mother's birthday on the 11th of November and save all of her lunch money, and she would have a party for her mom. So she saved all of her lunch money. She had a party for her mom. She invited everybody over. Everything went wonderful until everybody left. And then her mother turned at her with a hateful look and said, don't ever do something like that again. You were just trying to embarrass me. My house wasn't neat. My house wasn't clean. You knew that. You were just trying to embarrass me. So her life went from bad to worse. After a while, she began to cut herself. And then after that, she began to have an eating disorder. And after that, tremendous depression. She was so hungry for the love that she couldn't get. She was making a mistake at that time in her life, looking to people for what only God can do. I want to show you in the Bible, just, and I've talked about this before, but I want to show you more places in the Bible because this is such a key theme and it's a great way for us to think about our longing for love. And, and, I'll, and I'll say it maybe like in three points. Point number one, don't look for people to fulfill, to ultimately fulfill your longing for love. Don't look to people. Number two, look to God. And especially two things. Look to the cross, look to Calvary, and ask God for a spiritual enlightenment of his love. Now, you might want to look in your Bible 
Um, and, and as I <clears throat> just show you some of the biblical basis for this, here in the Old Testament, don't turn there, I'm just going to read this briefly. In the Old Testament, in Psalm 36, 7 and 8, here's the language that's often used. It's the language of love. It's the language of affection that's often used in the Bible to describe how a person should relate to God. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men, they put their trust under the shadow of your wings, and they are abundantly satisfied They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. You give them to drink of the river of your pleasures. With you is the very fountain of life. This is just the way the Bible talks about the relationship with God as a love relationship that's deeply fulfilling. So we don't don't look ultimately to people for love. We look ultimately to God for love. And especially we see it expressed in, in Calvary. And we have a special experience of that when we actually pray for an enlightenment of God's love. Now, you see that in Ephesians chapter 3. My goal is to pray for each of you. If you uh, don't think that you are on my prayer list, I would like you to come to me and say, am I on your prayer list? And and I'll take my phone, I'll put you on my prayer list under your day. You'll have a day of the week that I pray for you. Now, I do this um, because the Lord put it on my heart in a very strong way. To pray for everybody I preach to, every single person every single week, and I have that broken up for the days of the week. Paul did this, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, he did this. And the way that he did it was, he would say, some of his prayers are recorded in the Bible, in the New Testament scriptures, in the book of Ephesians, which is a letter to a church. There are a couple of just beautiful, powerful prayers that are recorded there. We could take time to, we won't take time to read both of them, but the second one, the one in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, this is what Paul says, this is what I pray for you. It's like he said all the names of the people, and then he prayed one prayer for them. Like, how would you like to know what it is that Paul prayed? Can I give you just a little short version of this? Here's the essential thing that Paul prayed for them. He said, help them see how much you love them. That's what he said. To boil it down to his essence, Paul's prayer to people for... And, and then, and, and the things that happen when people have a deep, like, enlightenment or a revelation or an understanding or a feeling that they feel loved by God. When you feel loved by God, an explosion of wonderful things happens in you. So you want this. And the two ways to get it are to look at Calvary and to pray for a spiritual enlightenment. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 3. You're familiar with this, I think. Ephesians 3.14, this is Paul. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in me, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now that's just full of stuff. 
But, I've, but I want to make this a hard-hitting and short message. So let me just show you some things that are there quickly. First of all, here's the thing that, that I've always noticed when I pray this, that when people have an enlightenment of God's love for them, when people feel that God loves them, one of the things that happens is they are filled with supernatural strength. That's what it says in verse 16 there. Strengthen with might through his spirit in the inner man. How would you like to have spiritual, supernatural, spiritual strength? Okay, the simple way of that is to see how much God loves you, to think about how much God loves you, to feel the love of God. And how do you do that? By looking at the cross and by praying for spiritual enlightenment, like Paul is praying here. One of the things that happens is you have supernatural spiritual strength. That would be good, right? That would be good. Amen? Say amen. Talk to me. Yeah. And then, because if I work fast, you guys have to give me a lot of feedback. Amen? Amen. So, and then that we'd be filled with the fullness of God. It says that in verse 19. That's just a great thing. How would you like to be filled with the fullness of God? I think of this often. Strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man on one end of this prayer. Filled with all the fullness of God on the other end. i got to just believe that if a person is strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, in the inner person, and filled with all the fullness of God, you would be able to tell there'd be something kind of special about that person. There'd be something kind of special about that person. You know, seriously, how would you like to live with somebody who's strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner person and filled with the fullness of God? It would seem like that person would be a nice person to live with. Amen? I'd like to share a pew with a person filled with all the fullness of God, strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner person. (laughs) That's kind of cool. These are monster promises. And then it says in verse 20 and 11, it says that there be glory in the church. So a lot of people love to bash the church and pastors. I noticed this because I am one, right? And I love the church, and I've devoted my life to the church. And I've been preaching since I was 14, pastoring since I was 17. And the last thing I want to do before I die is preach. I just want to preach and die. Not right away, like a long time from now, but I just want to devote my life to the church. Jesus died for the church. I want to live for the church. So I don't want to put the church down. But sometimes you just don't see the church. You don't always see the church at its best. Now, this week, I kind of think we saw the church it, it, it pretty near its best. Just people giving and serving and loving and working. And a very exciting week for the church. I commend you for that. And, but how can we have glory in the church? How can we have God reflected off of the church into the world? How can that happen? It's when the people in the church have a revelation of the love of God deep in their heart. That's what Paul's praying for. I'm praying that they see the height and the depth and the length and the breadth. They see how big God's love is for them. That's great if you think about it. You get these, at least these four things, supernatural, spiritual strength, filled with the fullness of God, glory in the church, and I love it. In verse 21, notice what it says, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus in the good old days. No, it doesn't say that. No, it says what? In all generations forever and ever, amen. Did you know that there's a movement in America, even while America is in spiritual decline, and it is in spiritual decline, even while America is in spiritual decline, God is raising up young people whose faith is as every bit as strong as anybody who went before them. There are young men and young women today that God is raising up because there will always be glory in the church when somebody gets a hold of how much God loves them. When a young person gets a hold of how much God loves them, that young person will be filled with all the fullness of God, strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, and there'll be glory in the church in his generation. That's awesome when you think about it. We got to cling to that promise nowadays. It's a dark day that we're living in. 
So here are some other passages. Just let me read them to you. 1 Corinthians 13, 14 is what we call the apostolic benediction. they, They call it the apostolic benediction because an apostle said it, and it's at the end of the book as a prayer, as a benedictory prayer, right, as a blessing prayer. And it's one of the places in the Bible where all of the persons of the Trinity are mentioned. Here's how it goes. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and catch this, the love of God and the communion or fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul says, let me just say it like this. To wrap up this letter, I want you guys to have this. I want you to have the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You should pray that for you. You should pray that for other people. That's what you need. Bible says in Titus, one of these rich passages in Titus, it's talking about, you know, we were once this and that and the other thing. You know, all the dark, ugly things that were in our past. But then it says, but then, listen, when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared to us, when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How did we get saved? We had that initial enlightenment of the love of God. We understood, wait, God loves me, sent his son to die for me. I want to devote my life to him. And if you're asking for a text of this message today, we could say that Ephesians 3 is the text. But here's the thing I think I'd like to embed in your heart. It's in Romans 5. I saw it this week in a kind of a fresher way than I've ever seen it. In Romans 5 and verse 5, it says, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This is an, it's a description of that like spiritual enlightenment that you need and that I need. How would you like the secret, if you will, to open up the deeper riches of God in your life? Here's the secret. Get that enlightenment of the love of God. Know that God is the one who fills your deepest longing for love. Not your wife even. Not your husband. That's too much pressure for any human being. Not your perfect little cherubic children. Not them either. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to grow up and you're going to find about things they did. You had no idea they did. They're going to tell you after the statute of limitations has passed, they will tell you all the evil and nefarious things that they did when you didn't know it and you were bragging to all your friends about how wonderful they are. They're going to disappoint you. That's just going to happen, amen? Yeah, yeah. The people that aren't saying amen, they got the little kids that they're dressing like right now, putting them in the van. They're going to see this is going to happen to them too. Those children are so fulfilling. That love of a wife is so amazing. The love of a husband is so amazing. But never, never, never can a wife or husband or child fill a hole that only God can fill. And so with this longing for love, don't waste your time. Go straight to God and then look at Calvary where God sent his son Jesus who laid down his life for you. Look at that over and over again. Sing gospel songs over and over again. Read gospel books over and over again. Look, at, look for the gospel in every passage over and over again and pray for an enlightenment of God's love. This is what the Bible says in 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Like, a, like, a, like an obscene kind of spending. Lavished on us that he gave us his son. And you know what Romans 8 says. That beautiful gorgeous passage. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. And 1 John 3.16, you know John 3.16, right? 1 John 3.16 says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. That's what the Bible says. If you want to know that God loves you, well, he died for you. He died for you. 
So it's good to think long and hard about the love of God, and it's good to look at Calvary to see the love of God while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's good for us to pray, God, help me see your love. Help me see that you love me. I think I will sin less if I see that you love me. I think I'll be a better husband and put less pressure on my wife and expect less of, you know, of my kids to be my idols if I am trusting that you fill the deepest longings. You've heard of Gary Chapman. He wrote this famous book called The Five Love Languages. I would love to write a book like that because I think he's a millionaire now. But anyway, The Five Love Languages. Don't look at me like that. You want to be a millionaire too. You're so pious on Sundays. Like, oh, well, I don't know if the pastor's not very spiritual. Yeah, anyway, I would like to write a book that edifies people and makes me rich. But anyway, so far, sales aren't going very good on my book, so I'm keeping my day job. But anyway, so Gary Chapman, I actually met him one time. He, he wrote this book, The Five Love Languages. And it's just phenomenal. People love it. You know, you, you got these five. Here they are, okay? Here, you can look at your wife and go, Which is, what is your love language? And like, by the way, your wife will go, you got to guess. That's part of the fun. <laughs> she will not tell you, right? Women aren't that way. They're like, oh, my love language. Your wife will not tell you her love language. She's like, just try them all. I'll let you know. Anyway, guys, they're straightforward. They're like, yeah, my love language is uh, brisket. You know, just give me brisket. Feel loved. Here they are, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, physical touch, and quality time. That's what Gary Chapman says. And then, usually when you talk to people, you'll notice that a person will say, yeah, that's the one I especially long for, that, that quality time, or, or those, those gifts, or those acts of service, or those meaningful words. And here's what Gary Chapman said, though. He said years after he wrote the book and he was just thinking about Jesus one day, he realized that Jesus spoke all five of the love languages so perfectly. Here's what he said. A number of years ago, when I wrote the book, Five Love Languages, I realized quickly all these love languages flow out of God's love and into our lives. He speaks all five love languages fluently. The Bible's filled with words of affirmation where God verbalizes his love to us. And God is the gift giver and acts of service. That's what the cross is all about. Follow the life of Jesus and you will see him speaking the love language of physical touch. And for all of you who want it, God is ready all the time for quality time with you. Isn't that beautiful? He's the only one. Now, so here's the, here's the third piece because pastors are supposed to have three points. But this is really true. Okay, so first of all, don't look to people to fulfill your love longing. Look, number two, look to God. And especially by doing two things. What? Number one, look at the cross. Number two, Pray for an enlightenment, a supernatural enlightenment like Paul. He prayed for the people regularly that way. God, help me to see you love me. But here's the thing that I've personally found to be true. The Bible teaches it. I've found to be true in my life. So the question that looms is this. What do I do then with the longing that still exists when I'm trying to get, to, trying to experience the love of God but I still feel lonely. I still feel unloved. I still feel these longings that aren't fulfilled. What do I do then? Give me some concrete steps to take at that time. And I promised this when I told, told you I was going to preach this series that I would give you concrete steps. This one comes right out of the scripture, comes right out of my life. This is so true. Here's what you do. What do you do when even though you know you shouldn't get all your love from people and that you should look to God for love, you still feel a longing for love, and you've prayed for an enlightenment, and you've concentrated on the cross, but you still feel a longing for love. What do you do then? And the Bible is so clear about that. 
Here's what the Bible teaches. Go look. This is what I call the paradox of love. Practice the paradox of love. It's a thing that's true that doesn't seem true, okay? Here's what it is. This is the paradox of love. Go love somebody else into the love of God. Go find somebody else who needs love and love them Godward. Show them the love of God. Love them towards God. And here's the paradox. Now, I discovered this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15 in a very powerful way. Paul is talking here again. He's saying about the people. He says, for the third time, this is in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 12, for the third time, I'm ready to come to you and will not be burdensome to you. I do not seek yours, but you. In other words, I'm not looking for you to give me something. I'm looking to give you something. It's kind of what he's saying. He says, because children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. In other words, he says, I'm your spiritual parent. I'm not expecting you to give me stuff. I'm giving you stuff. That's what he's saying. And then here's the way he says it. I will very gladly, therefore, very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. You cannot not see the cross in that verse. Paul says, I will spend and be spent. What does that mean? That means I'm going to live and die for you. Like, that's what Jesus did. He lived for us. He died for us. I will there, I'm going to spend the rest of my life, he says, giving, loving, serving like Jesus until I die. And that's the paradox of love. And then, and only then, do we discover that's the way God made us to live. So if you're lonely, and you're depressed, and you're hurting, and you, you just have this ache in your soul, and you think, my marriage didn't really turn out the way I hoped it would. Or my kids, they didn't turn out maybe the way I hoped that they would. Or my job hasn't been really as fulfilling as I hoped it would be. People don't admire me and love me like I long to be loved. I find myself lonely in the night so often. Then you turn to God and you remind yourself that God sent his son Jesus to die for you. The Holy Spirit lives in you and will shed his love in your soul. Romans 5, 5. He'll spill out, shed abroad his love in your soul by the work of the Holy Spirit. And then you practice the paradox of love, look for people to love. Now, if you do that, you're going to be busy the rest of your life till you die because there will always be people to love. They're everywhere. Where you look are people that... I was reading this week an interesting book, a fascinating biography of a fellow named Beekner. When he was young, he, his people didn't know the Lord and he had some dark difficulties in his life. His dad took his life, just some hard things. Here's what he wrote. He wrote about a nanny that he had. He said, after she put my brother and me in bed at night, she would lie down next to us in the dark, and she would lead us in the same song that we always seem to sing, the old rugged cross, which as far as I can remember, was the only hymn I ever heard as the child of non-church-going parents. Although, he said, I had no idea what a hymn was or what a cross was or why it was something that you sing about in the dark. There are little boys and little girls and men and women who only have a vague notion that Jesus Christ and Calvary's cross is the very answer for the deepest needs of their very soul, and you get to tell them, and the special way you tell them is by loving them, embedding your words in deeds of love. That's what our whole church is about, you see. So Glenda Ravel, she, she had uh, the girl that I started telling the story early in the message about who was abused by her stepfather, unloved by her mother, 
cut herself, depression, anorexia. A neighbor, a neighbor saw some potential in her and asked her to watch their kids and eventually said, you know, you're a bright girl. You ought to go off to school. So she went off to school to become a nurse, and she did really well. But she had access to pills, and she wasn't well. And so one day she decided that she would gather enough pills to take her own life. And she had those pills all gathered to take her own life. And she was leaving the hospital that day. And she was walking through the lobby of the hospital. And something made her look at a table in the lobby of the hospital where there were some religious pamphlets. God's simple plan of salvation was a little religious pamphlet that was there. And she said, you know, I look at that and it had two things on it that kind of drew me. She said one was a cross and the other was a Bible. So she says, I looked around so I could see no one was looking at me, and I took the pamphlet, and I took it home with me, and I read it, and immediately I knew that Jesus Christ was the answer for my soul. If you can see Glenda Revelle today, I should show you pictures. She's married to a godly man, has a beautiful family, and her testimony was given on Elizabeth Elliot's program, A Gateway to Joy, a few years ago. She discovered, she was out there without Christ, and discovered in the simplest way that Calvary's the answer for the longing for love that we have. Have you discovered that yet? Think about how that could change your life. Think about how that could change your life. That's what you've been looking for all your life. Jesus Christ who made you, who loves you, and wants to save you. How beautiful is that? That's what John, 1 John 3, 16 says. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, He laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Before you go home, I'm going to give you a tip that will help you in your spiritual life. If you're anything like me, one of the, I have a little list of things I do if my spirit feels dry to encourage myself in the Lord and to stimulate my faith. You know, one of those things is to read Corey Ten Boom. So I have Corey Ten Boom's books on my shelf, and I did that this week. I pulled one of her books down late in the day when my energy was flagging, and I I read a little story that she wrote. She was a spirit-filled lady in the concentration camp and released and tramped all over the world giving her testimony. She was speaking in a place once, and when she was done, a man came up. It was in Africa. And the man came up to her after she was done speaking, and she noticed that his hands were disfigured, had horrible scars. She said, how did you get the scars on your hands? And then he dropped his head, and he just said quietly, I put a fire out at my neighbor's house. After he walked away, somebody came up to her and said, Can I tell you the whole story of what happened? He had a neighbor who hated him. And in the middle of the night, his neighbor set his house on fire with his family in it in order to kill him and his family. He'd been witnessing to him. This man with the burned hands had been witnessing to his neighbor. And so his neighbor was hateful and tried to burn his house down with his family in the night. He was aroused by the flames and he got up and he was able to put the fire out in his own house. But while his house was burning, sparks jumped over to his neighbor's house, to the roof. And the neighbor's house, the one who originally started the fire, the neighbor's house caught on fire. And then the man scarred his hands by putting the fire out at his neighbor's house. Jesus said that the essence of the Christian life is to love him. He loves us, we love him back. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
And so we love the Lord, and, and so we love our family. And, and, you know, John said it there in First John, we love one another. But probably the greatest test of whether or not you really are a follower of Jesus Christ is if you're willing to follow him all the way to you love your enemies too. Would you stand with me while we pray today? And we're going to be dismissed. And before you go, I want to, I want to place back in your hearts these names. And Ryan McKee and Tina McKee and Serena Rombowski and Christopher Parkin and Doug Donahue, who have followed the Lord in baptism today. So greet them and encourage them in the Lord. And then, especially when your heart is hungry and lonely and you're longing for love, go find somebody that you can love God where you know it's right. And that person might be your family member. That person might be a church member. And sometimes that person is going to be an enemy. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could gather in your name today and witness the fruit of this week and the baptisms of new believers and to have communion and to sing and to give and to hear your word preached and to preach your word. We're grateful that we are Christians and that we're in the, the worldwide and eternal family of faith and in the communion of saints, those who've gone before and who are even now with you and that already have, they're receiving their reward, their fellowship with you. And help us to live in such a way, not just to assume that we're going to get all of our reward and all of our satisfaction and all of our fullness in this life, but in this life and in the next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good day.